Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Before we jump into today's incredible conversation, I'd like to tell you about Energy by Design. Energy by Design is my game-changing wellbeing program for educators. It's a space to connect, share, laugh, and learn with others that understand the demands of school life. In this 10-week program, I share wellbeing skills and strategies that have helped countless educators to feel good, function well, and reignite their passion for teaching. The program includes access to an exclusive conversation series with wellbeing experts and educators and weekly videos, handouts and group coaching call. The group coaching call will be Thursday evenings at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. If you're ready to experience more energy, clarity and confidence in your life, Energy by Design is for you. Join the waitlist now and be the first to know when enrolments open. On with today's show. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with clinical and coaching psychologist, Dr. Joe Mitchell. Joe is a director and co-founder of The Mind Room in Collingwood, Victoria, Australia. Her focus is on building lives with meaning and connection and the management of burnout and mental illness. In this conversation, we discuss what is burnout, the obvious and subtle signs of burnout, why burnout is more common in women, and so much more. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Dr. Joe Mitchell. Joe, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much, Meg. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because at the moment we are all feeling a certain level of fatigue and the word burnout is everywhere that we look. And so I thought it would be really helpful for listeners to get a really good understanding of what burnout really is, what to look for. But before we get into that, Joe, I'd love for the listeners to get a sense of who you are and why you do what you do. Excellent. Well, who am I? That's a very big question. But let's start with some basic facts. I'm Joe Mitchell. I'm a clinical and coaching psychologist. I run a business called The Mind Room, which is in Collingwood in Melbourne, which is a health, wellbeing and performance psychology practice or community. But I'm also very fortunate to be based the last couple of years down in Lutruwita, Tasmania, just in the foothills of Kunanyi, Mount Wellington, surrounded by nature, family, community, and that has been a real source of joy for me as it's been a turbulent couple of years. Uh, professionally, I've worked as a clinical psychologist for 15 or more years. I came to psychology after a decade of working mostly in the sport industry, but a few other kind of divergences along the way, including some time in Norway working in an Irish bar. Um, yeah, so psychology, a late bloomer, but it is absolutely a deep love and I think will be a constant source of learning, growth and meaning for me throughout my life. What I care about is helping create fit minds and flourishing lives. And really, that's what the team at The Mind Dream are all about, is helping people at whatever stage they're in, whether it is struggling with a mental health condition or coming to us from a performance perspective and wanting to get the most out of themselves. And of course, what we see is our fair share of people experiencing burnout as well. Oh, Joe, I love hearing your story. And I know of someone who's 
I've followed your work for a long time and what really shines through is your authenticity. You're really real. You know that life is not all unicorns and rainbows and that it is hard to navigate life sometimes and to find our direction and where we're going. And it has been such an intense period of time for so many of us and we're trying to come to terms with it and our bodies and minds are trying to come to terms with it. So what is burnout? Good question. So the term was first coined from, a, and I'll say from a psychological perspective, because burnout's been in our language for a long time, but from a psychological perspective, first coined back in the 1970s and work coming from the organisational psychology field. Noticing this was in a particular cohort, this idea of air traffic controllers and errors occurring, which is obviously not a great thing if you're an air traffic controller. I'm trying to understand why, because these were people that were coming from, you know, they were very smart and capable. They were often coming from military or environments where they were used to high stress. So what was shifting that was creating issues in the workplace? And of course, we tend to first start by focusing on the individuals, on the people. But what was really clear was that this is more than just an individual issue. This is also about the systems that we live and work in. So burnout was first kind of put on the radar then. However, significantly in 2019, the World Health Organization organization recognized burnout as a syndrome and placed it within its diagnostic manual, which is the International Classification of Disease. So they talk about it as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. Really, when I first read that, not been successfully managed, I went, screw you, you're blaming it on the people again. But I don't think they do. I think that really what is being understood is it's not us as individuals that are unsuccessfully managing this. It's also the organisations and the workplaces that we sit within who are not successfully managing the, the factors that maybe contribute to workplace burnout. So what it is, there's three kind of key pieces that help us to identify burnout. One is this physical and emotional exhaustion. Yeah, so just a bone tired weariness, but it's also associated with cynicism or detachment, particularly around work and workplace. So we might find ourselves being a little bit more of a downer in the workplace around other people, more cynical about change or about progress and feeling detached from the work. The last component of it is this idea of feeling ineffective yourself, like you're not accomplishing or doing the things which that you want to do. So we kind of lose this sense of purpose and meaning in the context of work. What they talk about, which is important because I often hear burnout being thrown around as a term outside of the work context, but this is very much about a collection of symptoms that occur within the workplace. I would probably talk about if people feel like, yeah, I experienced this exhaustion and this detachment and this cynicism and feeling like I'm not making progress or accomplishing things, I would probably use word like a word like languishing. So that kind of low well-being. And if that is chronic and goes on for long enough, then that can turn into mental, specific mental illnesses like depression, anxiety disorders. But I'd, I'd make that distinguishing, distinguishing factor between burnout, related chronic workplace stress, and languishing, which can occur outside of 
the workplace. It's really interesting how you identify those three areas. And sometimes it's not until we hear those areas and we can do a mental checklist where we really notice, oh, this is something. There's something going on for me. I think that whole sense of I do not feel like myself, even if you can't break down the parts of it, that's the warning for a lot of us of I don't like who I'm being when I turn up to work. You know, I don't like the attitude I'm bringing or I don't like the way that I feel or why do I even behave like that? I think that that's the kind of signal to us that something's going on, whether it's burnout or something else, but something's happening and that's when I need to stop and take a look. Because it can be so sneaky. It can happen so gradually that maybe it's not until we stop and think about these questions that we even notice. Yeah. I wrote an article a little while ago about this, which is on our Mind Dream website about burnout being a bit of a wild beast. And one of the metaphors that we use there is this idea of boiling a frog, which uh, turns out I have done a fact check on this. This metaphor is not true. doesn't matter. It helps tell the story. But the idea that you place a frog into boiling water, it'll go, oh, this is hot, and hop out. Place it into room temperature water and you turn the temperature up. It slowly heats and heats and heats. It won't recognize that it's boiling and it never gets out, right? The frog dies. Again, not true, but nice metaphor that sometimes we just find that like we don't go into a workplace necessarily expecting to or feeling any of those. We often feel a little bit anxious about maybe stepping into a new place, but we certainly don't have the cynicism or the detachment or the other pieces. And it just can sneak up over time. So it tends not to be a critical one incident, one bad moment in the classroom or in the clinical room or, you know, responding to a, a fire or an event depending on your workplace. It's the steady buildup of these stresses and different types of stresses that leads to this kind of end game of burnout. So it can take months, years to build for people. And then I'm guessing it can take maybe months or years to recognise what we're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have such meaning-making minds. When something doesn't feel right, we tend to go to, oh, what's going on here? And it's really easy to look at the organisation and go, that person they're the reason why I feel bad. This event, that's the reason why this feels bad without ever stopping and really looking at the whole picture. So I think the being able to notice our own experience, recognise that it's not just a one-off and I've dealt with that issue and now I'm back on track and it's all okay. It's like, yeah, dealt with that immediate issue, that immediate person, that immediate scenario. However, this feeling is still there this response by me is still there. What's happening? What what do I now need to do? That's such a beautiful question to think about. What do I now need to do? And when it comes to burnout, what are some common myths around it? I mean, there's a whole lot. Uh, I think one is that it's my fault. I think we definitely need to change that, that it's the fault of the individual, that there's something wrong with them, that they can't cope with the work environment. I think the other one is that it just kind of snaps on you know that one day I was fine and the next day I had burnout but as we just talked about it tends to be a more gradual process than that and certainly if it was a snap-on kind of thing we'd probably be looking at maybe a trauma response rather than calling it burnout. I think 
also the other side of this is it's also really perhaps easy to blame organisations and go that they're not doing enough for me, that they're not taking their responsibility seriously. I guess the hard thing with any organisation is it's a bit like a, a big old freight ship. If you want your freight ship to turn or to tack, you need to tell it five miles out, we're going to turn right in five miles for it to be able to correct course. So it's not always easy, I think, for organisations to make the shifts and you've got to also have the will to change direction as well. They'd probably be my main ones. Any that you've heard? From this conversation, I'm thinking maybe a myth is my burnout will be better after a holiday or if I just have a weekend away, that will fix it. Or as you say, if the boss changes or I know for me, when I've experienced in the past, I thought, well, if I change schools, Mm. that changed things. And from my experience, it didn't. It turned out I was the same person in a different system working in some really unhelpful ways. Yeah, look, absolutely. But it's also interesting in that I hear the opposite story. So this is why there's no one size fits all, where people have gone, I changed jobs. Oh my goodness, everything is so much better now. That those feelings, they don't go away overnight, but they definitely are easing and I feel more at home. I think the difference is we need to understand for us in our context, what is the issue or the combination of issues? Because it might just be about the environment. This current environment is not a good culture for me to be in. Change the culture. Find somewhere that is more values aligned for me. It will be different. However, if the issue is that shift work really doesn't suit me from a physiological and mental state, then going into another shift work job, even if it's a different culture, isn't going to actually address the issue for you. Or if you have, and I guess I definitely identify with my biggest issue was I wasn't holding work boundaries. I assigned a lot of my own value and worth with working harder, getting things right, getting things done. So my response to any work environment is just to work harder and harder. And that did me well for a whole bunch of years, but it leads to chronic burnout and you can't sustain that as you get older. Sometimes our intensity at which we work really works for us in certain chapters of our life and it gets us to where we want to go. And then things change. It might be children, it might be parents that are unwell and they need us. It could be a separation. Life happens and then we try and hold on to that intensity and that pace, but we just can't. Like We just do not have the capacity. Have you noticed that in your clients? Yeah, definitely. One in particular who's actually gone and written a book about this. So her journey was very much being in medical sales that for the first 10 years or so, it really served her. You know, she smashed her financial goals. She built great relationships. She made amazing progress in her work life for those goals that were important to her at the time. But the cost was not developing her life outside of work, not investing in those relationships and that community. And then when she just couldn't handle the pace for her anymore, it was coming out as as really significant physical and mental health issues. She didn't know any other way. It was like incredibly hard to stop and to recalibrate and go, okay, what if I 
go at a different kind of pace, what would that look like? You're in your late 30s, early 40s, and you haven't ever practiced that. Kind of strange, isn't it, that you haven't practiced going at a different pace? So, yeah, of course you're not very good at it. I know for me that for so long I only had one gear Mm. and that was work harder, Yeah, just work harder. If I work harder, I'll get on top of things and then slowly realizing that doesn't matter how hard I work, there are certain things that you'll never be on top of, especially if you're working in a school system with lots of people, lots of demands. You can't get on top of it. As a parent, you're never going to be on top of everything. It's this mirage, but learning how to shift gears and find finding times there we need to lean in, we need to work harder and then also giving ourselves permission to lean back and take a breath and think just because I can do it doesn't mean I have to do it. That wisdom only comes from knowing yourself and understanding that you have a bunch of internal resources and they are finite. You know, we have our energy, we have our attention and then what we have to balance always is what do we do with these things when I still want to go at the same pace in my work life, but I've also added in a family and kids. And I've also added in, I still want to hang out with my friends. And I've got these other maybe creative goals in my life. I've got to actually let go somewhere of some of the things that I'm holding on to. How do I do that? You can't just go at it harder and expect there to be no repercussions on the whole system. We've got to know ourselves. I think when we really know ourselves, then we can make better decisions about what to prioritize, what matters most at this stage in my life, and what am I going to let go of? And I'm guessing that those kinds of conversations with ourselves or with a therapist or with a coach can be quite tricky if we're feeling exhausted, if we're feeling depleted. So there's a challenge there, isn't that? Because if we're feeling really burnt out, maybe even thinking about these things can be quite complex. For people listening, what are things to look out for? What are some really obvious signs that we're experiencing this burnout? I think the biggest one early is that fatigue. So the lack of energy, feeling tired most days, you know, you might notice at first something like, yeah, I just had a bad night's sleep. And then it becomes a few nights of the week. And then it becomes most nights of the week. So we have different kind of levels of it. And I think it's this idea of keeping an eye on it. The occasional bad night, not a problem. But when it becomes more consistent, that's when it starts to become problematic. So noticing your sleep, memory and attention is a big one, lack of focus, beginning to forget things. Again, these are also symptoms of a lot of things. (laughs) And that's why I think we often need help unpacking them. Memory, attention, sleep, appetite, mood changes, that's all part of normal processes like pregnancy and menopause. And, you know, having a young family and, and, and all these sorts of things. So we're trying to always unpack the complexity, but fatigue, sleep, noticing attention issues, so memory and attention. I think physical symptoms, some people are, you know, going to notice the physical before they notice some of these other things because they tend to punch us in the face a little bit more. Chest pain, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, bad gut, lightheadedness, headaches, So again, we're seeing this increase in frequency and duration. Weight fluctuation can be a signal as well, whether it's losing or gaining, craving particular foods, 
changes in your mood, feeling more anxious or on the edge, irritable, angry, like it presents differently for different people. Just I think that loss of joy or enjoyment in life. And I think the really the tough one is when people begin to feel detached or isolated, like they're alone. That disconnection, that is, I think, a, an absolute big red flag because we need connection, we need other people. And it's amazing how you can be surrounded by people but still get that sense of loneliness or detachment. So they're some of the, the ways, I think, that we begin to see it. And certainly if you begin to look at performance, you know, whether it's in the workplace or in your parenting life or in whatever aspect of your life, we just don't seem to get the same results as maybe we were used to. It's so interesting to think how this can seep in in so many different areas, someone may be having a disrupted sleep and I just can't remember that. I have to, I've got to write it down. I can't quite catch that thought anymore or I'm just so irritable and you know something that used to be effortless and easy feels hard and something that I've had to learn and I continue to learn is the time that I say I'm done, I've got nothing left to give, was probably about three weeks before. Like I could have probably caught things a bit earlier, but I have to be so depleted where I'm getting a little bit better of catching it early. But something around that is that it's just hard to know. It's really hard to know when you're in it. And so I'd love to hear from you of how do people come to this realization that I'm experiencing burnout and then what's the cost for us if we don't do anything about it? There's a cost, and I don't think it's just for us personally. I think it's for the um, families that we operate within, for the communities that we live in, for the workplace, like for all of us. Like I think the cost goes beyond the individual of not taking note of when there is some kind of disruption to how we're thinking, feeling, and functioning. I think I've said this to you before. I don't know about you, but you're you're a bit younger than me, Meg. <laughs> but um, I didn't ever get the memo on you have got all these internal signals that you can be reading that can help guide you through life. And by that, I mean the thoughts that you're having, the emotions you're experiencing, the physical signals from your body, like just, just understanding, ah, oh, that's hunger versus no, somebody just trampled all over my values and that's why I'm feeling like this. So those kinds of really being able to read yourself so that then you can go, oh, okay, this isn't the version of me that I want to be. This is a version that is just reacting to life, just surviving life rather than really driving my own life and, and feeling like I'm thriving. But when it comes back to signals, I guess one, a real life one, and again, everybody's going to have their unique signals. For me, the biggest one is when I start debating, oh, I don't feel great. Should I have a sick day? No, you can't. no, I don't think I feel bad enough to have a sick day. So I start to have a debate in my head about whether or not I should have a sick day. This is even when I am the boss of my own business. I hate debate. <laughs> so it's not just about like speaking to someone else about I don't feel well enough. But as soon as I'm having that debate, I know, no, you're not okay. Yeah, there's something wrong here. I don't need to wait then until I have the complete catastrophe keel over, cannot actually get myself out of bed. So that's my personal one. I've heard others talk about, oh, it's when I just cannot switch off from my device. When I am still there 
at midnight, one o'clock, and I'm saying, or, or not, you know, device or TV or whatever it is, this thing that I know that is disruptive to me, I just cannot unhook myself. And that's fairly consistent. That might be your signal. If you live in a family, you'll get some pretty clear messages from them. And sometimes they can be really hard to listen to, but you'll get some pretty clear messages from them because you'll begin to see their responses are changing in response to you. So maybe that's your signal. And what is it like for people when they have that moment of insight of this is what I'm experiencing? When they get it, they can put a label on it, they can grab hold of it and understand it. I think they're trying to make sense of it and tend to go to one of two extremes, completely blame themselves and it becomes a willpower thing um, or a I'm a not good enough thing in some form. There's something wrong with me, but it's not recognising it as, yeah, there's something wrong and potentially an illness or it's, it's a disruption to the system that you might need some support to work your way through. Or the other extreme, which is what's wrong with the world, you know, there's a problem out there and they are creating this for me and they're to blame. And I, th- I think both are really unhelpful. Somewhere we've got to get this balance of something's not right at this point in my life. I've got all these signals. I can't clearly see exactly what that is. So who do I need to recruit who might maybe help me get that shift in perspective? Now, that might be a family member, a friend, Um, It might be a doctor, it might be a psychologist. I think you've got to know who's in your network and who's going to help you perhaps get the clarity that you can't quite get because you're in this experience right now. Yes, I love that idea of recruiting people to help us move to a different state of functioning. So how can people who are listening who are feeling like, oh, this is touching on some nerves, I'm in a workplace and I am experiencing burnout, or I'm in the home and I'm languishing, I'm feeling fatigued and a bit disconnected and just want to run away, what can we do to gently move forward? First of all, be curious and break it down to its parts. Curiosity is your best weapon here. Trying to understand, okay, what is it that is contributing to this? Now, the really hard one, I think, with the pandemic and saw some really interesting data that came out of Culture and who do these kind of workplace surveys and understanding what is going on for people is that we're seeing in Australia more so than in other countries, but also similar in other countries, this increase in burnout. So of course, it begs the question, why? What is going on? But there's also this really big gender difference in that it seems to be impacting women more than it is men. Now, Meg, um, what do you reckon the reason for that might be? You're listening to the School of Wellbeing podcast with Meg Durham. To learn how I can help you thrive, visit openmindeducation.com. There you will find out about Thrive by Design, my workplace wellbeing program. Energy by Design, my game-changing program for educators, and Impact by Design, helping student leaders have an impact in their school community. Let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Joe Mitchell. Oh, well, I really resonate with that. And the people that I work with are majority women. I do have some men that I work with, but and the women are saying to me, I am just done. I am so done from going in and out of the workplace, generally if they're working in education, so they're 
a teacher caring about other people. They've also got their own children. Their domestic load has gone through the roof. The worry about their children's health, the the rap test, the mask, the what are we doing now, all the questions. The emotional load has just gone to the next level. And there's this thing that we kind of expect that women are going to pick up that slack a bit more or women's workers are not getting paid as much generally. I'm just putting in that in quote marks as a stereotype that, oh, they can drop off a little bit more or they can work part-time and and everyone's trying to keep this ship going and now I've been working in a few organizations out of school and it's been really interesting to note that a lot of them are struggling coming back to work so pre-pandemic at work five days a week, then working from home, and now to come into the office two to three days a week, they're just saying, Meg, this is we don't know how to do it. We really feel like we're falling apart. I was just on a phone call this morning to a group. They were talking about their respective teams, and I said, in general, if one was falling apart and not functioning and five was up and about shooting the lights out, tell me from one to five where your team is and the answer was two, three. Yeah. Like that's where they were. And then I often ask this question in the last 24 hours, sleep, movement, nourishment, rest connection, like tell me out of those five things, how many have you ticked? And the average is two. So this is what we're dealing with. So I think women have got this increased load and it is exhausting trying to then recalibrate again. You're you're nailing it there. So the gender difference really is that we still have this social issue of women carrying the domestic burden. And even though, again, I know that there are absolutely exceptions to this rule. There are men that are carrying, you know, more than their fair share, but on average, women pick up more of the burden. They still are often working and they're taking on more of this other piece. So we're trying to, on what is already limited time, energy and attention, we're adding more load. And then pandemic's over, we can all go back to business as usual, but it isn't, is it? Um, We haven't cleaned up. I mean, in some ways, you know, look at the floods that are happening in Queensland. Now, the difference is this is a physical thing that has happened. People's houses, homes, communities are destroyed. There is an actual recovery and repair process that needs to happen and we can physically see it. Whereas with the pandemic, who's clearing up all the damage and getting things back into some kind of functional order before just going at it again. We're not doing that, I think. And I don't necessarily have the answers. What I do know is it's not just, you know, self-care for individuals. It's not, you know, having a good night's sleep or a night out without the kids or it's not those things. It's not that simple. But I think it's asking really big questions of our society and our workplaces, what's the relationship that we want to have with the workforce and work? What are the things that really do matter the most and how are we going to adequately resource them? Because I think we've got a really broken relationship with work, so many levels, and it needs adjusting. And I think that this is a beautiful opportunity to readjust and it's messy at the moment. And it takes me back to that thought we had at the start about how we work so hard and then things change and then we expect ourselves to keep working at that level. People have been working so hard throughout this pandemic trying to show that I'm still productive. I'm still up and about. Look, I can still produce. And now trying to take that again into this next chapter of it, 
And we probably just don't have the capacity at the moment and thinking about that repair and recovery process. How can I create pockets of time to allow my mind and body and spirit to recover, to repair? And I think previously we've probably looked at this as time management. And I think that is one layer of it, absolutely time management. And it's a really good finite resource that you can kind of go, okay, we've got a um, 24 hours in our day. We need to have, we know to function really well. We probably need about eight hours of sleep variations in that for people from seven to nine. So let's take out the sleep part. We're going to have to eat. Uh, so let's take out the time to eat. And so you can kind of like break it down and go, okay, I got this number of hours in my day. But what that doesn't account for is the energy that we need to do all the tasks and the things that are important. And with that energy comes attention because in order to perform in anything, whether it's in your relationship or whether it's doing your job, you need attention. Where your attention is, that's where the kind of performance flows. In order to have attention, we need energy. So it's this kind of cycle of I've got to manage my time, I've got to manage my energy, I've got to manage my attention. And I think for a lot of us, what's happened is our energy is so low because all this newness of COVID and pandemic life means that our usual just fall back into old patterns has been disrupted. So we don't, we're using all this extra energy to think our way through really small little life decisions and moments. We just don't have enough in the tank. So I still have, maybe I've got time back, but I don't have the energy. So we've got an energy problem. And then then that's really interesting, isn't it? Is so if workplaces are asking questions like, how do we manage the energy of our people? That's kind of cool rather than focusing on how do we manage their time? I am all about energy management because I've noticed in myself and the people that I work with that when we do have the energy, when we've charged our battery, you get things done. Mm Mm-hmm. Your attention goes there. You can tick it off the list. You can get it done. You can move through resistance because you've got the capacity to move through the uncomfortable conversations or that task that you don't really feel like doing. And the reverse is true that when we're depleted and exhausted, everything just feels effortful and a report that would normally take 30 minutes you know, it takes best part of the day, throw in some procrastination and some scrolling and a little bit yeah. of this and a little bit of that. Energy is so vital. And that's why I think it's so important in this conversation to come back to basics. We are human with human needs and we can't shortcut our basic needs. And this is where I think it's got to be a really a strong relationship between us and the workplaces that we're in where we're able to recognise, okay, sure, we have enough time in our day to maybe meet the demands of the organisation, but we don't have enough energy in our day. So how can we work together to manage that? And it means making really, really hard decisions around, well, okay, maybe we can't have the same sort of productivity or output as we've previously had. So what's most important here? We can't do it all. What matters most? That takes a really mature relationship. I mean, I I see it in even, you know, I think that there's some leaders in organisations that still really struggle with not being able to have line of sight on their staff and to physically see that they are doing the work, which we all know is kind of laughable, really, because um, we don't do physical labour, we do mental labour. So can you really tell that I'm doing the work in my head? Um, Maybe I'm just thinking about what's for dinner tonight. 
you know, there's a lot of attitude shifting around. We've got to empower, we've got to trust, we've got to find out what motivates our people because just telling them to do something, to be there at this time, like that, that, those models, they don't work anymore. So there's a lot of change for a lot of people. It's not going to shift overnight, but I do definitely think that what your listeners can do is take a look at themselves and go, what can I control? What are the old attitudes or beliefs that I hold that maybe get in my way? For me, it's often been that I'm only worthwhile, lovable, have value in society if I work hard. So my productivity and me you know, showing the world, the world that I was clever and capable and produced a lot of stuff, that was really tied up in some weird sense of that is the only way that I'm lovable. And, and that, that's really unhealthy and ultimately that just doesn't work for me in the long term. And so it's interesting, This I was thinking about the other day, the idea of self-care because self-care, I mean, almost has become a, okay, workplaces will just chuck some self-care things at you and that will make everything okay but similarly us going oh well if I just have a bubble bath have some chocolate whatever then everything's going to be okay I just think we need to change it from self-care to self-respect because self-respect actually then incorporates things like Oh, saying no, holding boundaries, recognizing what my body and my need to be fit and to function most effectively. What does that look like? Rather than me just going, oh yeah, I'll go to yoga. I'll order takeaway tonight rather than cook. There's a whole host of things we can do, but I would say it's respecting ourselves so that we can turn up to our workplaces with time and energy and attention and this real sense of, I want to be here. I think that's a beautiful switch because when we think about respect, it is about honouring the human in which we are and as humans we have these needs and to meet these needs and earlier you talked about this memo that we got that we didn't learn about our internal worlds Mm. I got that memo too I didn't know about it all I knew was if I felt a bit tired or felt like a rest for me that was like so keep going play on there's no rest for the wicked just keep going and it's quite a skill to respect ourselves to get to know ourselves what is my body telling me and also the interesting thing I've noticed with the energy piece is once we've got more energy then we're more likely to put in the boundaries and have the difficult conversations because often people say oh I really want to put in boundaries and they have the one conversation about the boundaries and we know inevitably it's got there's going to be a counter move we're going to have to keep at it it's not just one I've done my boundary that's it because the next day you're going to feel like oh do I keep doing it am I really going to go home at five o'clock now like this is uncomfortable and I think that's where we really need our energy to keep these practices going Absolutely. We also, we need the space. I mean, who allows themselves the space to reflect on how am I operating as a human in the world? What am I doing well? It's kind of like we need that that um, performance review with ourselves. What am I doing? What am I doing well? When things are maybe not going well, how do I unpack that? And is there a pattern here? Am I holding on too tightly to some kind of story or belief 
that is driving me in the wrong direction. And for me, it's the, you know, busy and productive is how I have to be to demonstrate my worth. That story still runs and I still catch myself. I don't get it right all the time, but at least now I can call it out. And it has allowed me the space to also make some really significant changes in the way that I operate in my life, as has COVID. So there's been a big downside and an upside to the whole kind of pandemic. But one of the things is that, oh, I work best when I work in maybe three-hour blocks and I break up those blocks with getting out into nature, maybe going and seeing a friend or family but or, or having a nap. Sometimes, like, I'll nap. So, yeah, just these different ways of understanding what works best for you and that that's okay and giving people permission to um, work like that, I think, is potentially a bonus of what we've gone through. But not everybody also has a physical venue where that's okay. So we actually do have space at the Mind Room where people can nap or can play video games or can just sit and have a coffee or can sit somewhere quietly away from the hubbub of things so that we can, I guess, re-energise people in the way that works for them. I think that's such an important point to think about what re-energises you, what works for you, what brings joy and uplift to your life and then prioritising that to really make it a part of your life by design yeah. Not by default. Really give yourself permission to experience that uplift and some joy. Yeah. I feel like I keep going off on tangents, but earlier on you asked me something about what we can do. I think is recognize what is within your control and what really isn't. We spend a lot of mental energy trying to control the uncontrollable. Things like anticipating what new strain of COVID might appear. I can't control that. And also, fortunately, there's a whole bunch of amazing scientists and medical personnel who are all over it. So why spend my time there? I can't control it. What I can do is find really informed sources of information to understand the progress of what's happening here. Let me spend my energy, time, efforts on the things that I can control. Sometimes also in our workplaces, there's just things, I guess the realisation, and maybe this is what happened for you, is, well, maybe the workplace for you, maybe the education system was not the right fit for this stage of your life. Yeah, I think that is something to for people to really reflect is that at different stages of life, different things are important. If it's flexibility or meaning or career progression or wage, whatever it may be, all of these things come into play. And at the start of the year, I reached out to my community and said, what is your word of the year? Because I love to have a focus of the year. And mine was focused. But then, Joe, can you share yours? Because I've never heard your word before. Fear oven, which was like, what I love is English is such a limited language. We have a small range of words to explain a lot. And people say, oh, what are you talking about? It's like the word love, like love. I can love a Mars bar and I can love my partner. We learn over time that love has these different kinds of meanings, but it's still just one word four letters. So I think going to other languages, sometimes they have found names for words that in English we haven't put into practice. And then that 
also directs a lot of culturally appropriate behaviour or not. So Fear Arben, which is, and sorry to anyone who is German out there, my pronunciation probably pretty poor. I spent maybe a year of my life living in Switzerland in the German-speaking part, and um, as soon as I tried to speak German, they'd speak back to me in English. So German pronunciation not great, but the word I translate it as to celebrate the evening, so evening celebration. But what that has created is, I guess, a broader sense of the word, which is when someone says, oh, I'm going on Feierabend, it doesn't matter if it's 12 o'clock or 5 o'clock or whatever time of day, essentially work is done and now I'm off to celebrate my life. <laughs> so beautiful. How beautiful for people to have that in their mind. Work is done and now I'm off to celebrate my life, to, to be alive. Absolutely. So, you know, Feierabend is celebrate the evening, but this is, no, no, work is over and, and people respect it, right? That's the other thing sense that I get of the word is if you just say, oh, Feierabend, it's like, oh, okay, Meg's off home and that's good. Off you go. Whereas in our culture, it's like if at, at I don't know, at one o'clock you went, okay, I'm done for the day. See you later. We'd all be like, what? In fact, oh, this is a, a pretty awful story. One workplace uh, that may or may not have been a sporting workplace, when anyone was the first person to leave for the day, left the office, whoever noticed them leaving would begin to clap. And it was essentially a way of shaming people for leaving before time, before what was perceived as time. <laughs> like when I, I witnessed this, because I'm just like, well, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. I was just like, are you kidding me? I, especially when you look at, I mean, often in sport industry, people are working weekends, they're working, like they're working lots of hours. So to have this kind of a practice, that's the opposite of Feierabend, is no, I'm not celebrating you holding your boundaries. I'm actually shaming you because you are physically leaving the location, even though that means you might still be at work, do, like doing work. Anyway, Feierabend, that was my word. I absolutely love that word. And I think it's a word that we can all take into the next few weeks thinking about how can I celebrate life? How can I have a break between if it's the classroom or even if you're at home with young children? Like, how can I enjoy pockets of life? It's almost the visual that comes to my mind is put down the tools for the day. How can we put down the tools and look up at what's in front of us? If it's the people, if it's nature, enjoy mm -hmm. life. Like life is for living. And I guess with all the intensity, with all the workload, we just forget. We get too tired. We don't have the energy to enjoy and celebrate our life. And I think that is such a beautiful place for us to ponder and marinate on all these questions around maybe burnout is a beautiful invitation to redesign our life, to think about what is important. Just because I can do a hundred things, do I really want to? And do I have the capacity to do a hundred things? Yeah, I really believe that, you know, when we take care of our minds, I guess that's the piece that we're really passionate about is that when we really understand our minds, we help them to be clear and strong and flexible, that we're then able to respond to life, to the challenges, to the opportunities better. We understand we have these limited internal resources and we make good choices about where we want to direct that for us. And this idea that if we can listen to and cultivate and draw on our thoughts, our feelings, our energies and our attention and act in ways that then bring us closer to the person we choose to be, 
and the life that we want to live. I mean, I think that that's, that's what it's all about, kind of the key, isn't it? And, and I like you used a term, something about design, life by design, <laughs> life by design, not by default. I think that that's what we really need to get closer to. Because if we live our life by default, it sounds like we're going to end up pretty tired and exhausted. To wrap up this beautiful conversation, Joe, I've just learned so much and thought of new things in different ways. And I just love chatting to you. I would like to invite you to finish four sentences. I'm ready for it. I am inspired by. Oh God, I am inspired by so much. It's ridiculous. But at the moment, I'm revisiting a good oldie for me. And it is, um, it used to be called Brain Pickings. It's Maria Popova. And it's now called, I think, Marginalian. But what I love and am inspired by is her beautiful take on this kind of intersection of, of philosophy, psychology, art and the creative process. And so whenever I click on a website, she you know, has all her, her general sort of blogs and stories and deep reads, but she gives me a poem. <laughs> She's like, hey, you, I think you need a poem. So I'm inspired by poetry at the moment and just the perspective shift that it can give us on life and how we want to live it. When life feels hard? <laughs> Pause. <laughs> take a breath, take a moment, and then work out what you want to do next. An underrated skill is? Being able to stop and notice your own experience to be curious about your internal processes. I think that if more of us are understood and we're able to look at the mechanics of it, do much better. And I am looking forward to? In about an hour's time, getting in the car with my parents and a friend and heading away up the east coast of Tasmania for a weekend of uh, orienteering, which is a sport that I've taken up in the last couple of years again, and nature and beach and friends and family and fun. Oh, Joe! I just love chatting to you. You always bring so much energy. And considering our conversation, you're also bringing our attention to what really matters and helping us move towards what matters most. It's just such a skill. So thank you so much for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk about all these ideas that go around in my head, the conversations that I have. So thank you very much, Megan. I absolutely adore what you're doing with this. I know how much energy and attention and time and love it takes to put a podcast like this together. So thank you. How warm and wise is Joe? I hope this conversation has inspired you to take some time out of your busy life to stop and reflect on how you're showing up and the impact that it's having on your health, productivity and relationships. To learn more about Dr. Joe's incredible work in the world, visit the Mindroom website at themindroom.com.au. There you'll be able to read Joe's thought-provoking blog, Burnout is a Wild Beast and so much more. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to stop and take a moment to think about the two following questions. Number one, from this conversation, what is one thing you want to remember? What is your pearl? And number two, what is one action you can take in the next 24 hours to support your well-being? Subscribe to my Thought of the Week newsletter to find out what I'm working on, upcoming events and everything that I'm currently loving, including books, podcasts and shows. If you're interested in participating in Energy by Design next term, join the waitlist now and be the first to know when enrolments open.
To support the show, please rate and review on iTunes and Spotify and share with your family, friends and colleagues. Thank you for listening to the School of Wellbeing podcast. All the links from this episode will be in the show notes. Music